0: Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you have uh, spoken into our lives so far this morning through songs and through devotional and through the Sunday school. Sobering. And uh, we just feel like we need your wisdom on how to sort things out. And we just pray that you would give us wisdom. Thank you for the, the conversation this morning in Sunday school class. I just pray for Eric that you would bless and use him again this morning and continue your work within each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I would like to welcome each one of you to our service this morning as well. I think the proper way to begin a message is with an introduction to the subject. And I could not come up with any kind of an introduction for what I'll be sharing about this morning. So I'll begin with some questions like I often do. Raise your hand if you believe with all your heart that we are involved in a very real spiritual warfare. All right, most of you do. You don't need to raise your hand on this next one, but how many of you have felt that warfare or felt that you were part of the battle this last week? Think about that. We know and we understand in the Old Testament, Moses, the law of Moses, Jesus took the law of Moses and he applied it directly to the people's hearts. Rather than fixing a symptom, Jesus took his teaching and he applied it directly to the hearts of people. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that it has been said, or the law says it this way, but I say unto you. And he raised the bar and he said, it's even more important. And you can think of instances where he did that. He he didn't deal with simply the symptom, but he dealt with the heart, with the problem. In Matthew 22, a Pharisee came to Jesus and asked him, he said, What is the most important commandment of all? Do you remember what Jesus said? What was it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said, The second one's also the greatest commandment. It's, it's like unto it, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you get these two right, the rest the rest of your Christian life will fall into place. If you can love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. We sang the song this morning, It is well with my soul. If you can do that, the rest of the law will fall into place. The rest of what God wants of us will fall into place. The first and greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind is something that we should never, ever forget. Never forget that. It should be hanging in front of us at all times. We are involved in a great and a very real spiritual warfare, and this is what God requires of His soldiers. He requires of his soldiers to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. But we're weak, we're forgetful people, and that is why we are in a constant battle. There is a war for every one of you. For all of your souls, there is a war going on right now. A very real war. It's a war between Satan and God for the hearts of all people. And it's not a war where you can sit back on the sidelines and you can await the outcome and you can watch. You are either on one side or you're on the other. You're involved in this war whether you feel like it or not. If you have not given your heart to the Lord, if you have not committed your life to Jesus, there is a war for, this, for your soul, for the allegiance of your life. If you have given your heart to Jesus, there is a war... For your soul, for the allegiance of your life. It doesn't matter if you have given your heart to God or not. There is still a battle for your soul. The requirements of the soldier is to love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And Satan will do everything in his power. The enemy will do everything in his power to take away that love, that love that you have for God, or to even take away part of it. To understand this battle, we first need to begin by acknowledging that we are in a war. And you have done that. You raised your hand. You know and you understand, to some degree, that we are in a war, a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual war, largely invisible, but it is real. There are battles within this war that make up a smaller part of the big picture. Many battles are fought in the grand scheme of war. Two dictionary definitions for for battle. The first one is a sustained fight between large organized armed forces. The second definition is a fight or a struggle, to fight or struggle tenaciously to achieve or resist something. And both of these definitions can be accurately applied to the Christian walk, to the Christian fight and the battle that we are all, the war we are all engaged in. Battles are fought on different fronts. I enjoy history, and it seems like a lot of history lessons come from wars. In World War II, there were were war fought, there were battles fought in Europe, there were battles fought in uh, Norway, there were battles fought in Africa, There were battles fought in the Pacific, many different parts of the world, different fronts. Battles are fought for different reasons, and battles are fought with various degrees of intensity. Thinking of battles being fought on different fronts. What I struggle with, or what I battle with, where I find spiritual battle in my life may not even be on your radar. It may not even be something you struggle with at all. We all fight battles, but in different areas. We fight them for different reasons. Satan knows my weaknesses and he knows your weaknesses. And he will hit us at those weaknesses. The battles are fought for different reasons and with various degrees of intensity. There are times when I will feel, and you can relate to this, intense... Temptation or intense struggle or battles, maybe when we're at a weak point in our life. There are various degrees of intensity. If you're having trouble this morning deciding which side of the battle to be on, there are only two sides. If you're having trouble deciding which side to be on or if you're trying to decide if, if it's worth continuing to fight, on the side of God, or as a Christian soldier, hear this. John 16.33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. To him that overcometh I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down on the right and am set down with my Father in his throne. And I saw and behold a white horse, And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown, was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Again in Revelation, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. There's a common theme through all of those verses that I read. Even though the war is raging now, the outcome of the war has been decided already. The war is raging and many of you feel it, have felt it. The outcome of the war has been decided already. So is it worth continuing as a Christian soldier? Absolutely it's worth it. The outcome is decided. We know which side is going to win. It's foolish not to be a Christian soldier when you look at the outcome of of the war. If you want to be on the winning side, we know the result already. We know who's going to win this war. The victorious, chosen, and faithful. We are promised an eternity in heaven. Jesus came to earth to die and to break that iron grip that the enemy had on the souls of men. Revelation 12:11 12:11 says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. He died and he shed his blood to give you and every person an opportunity to be on the winning side of this war. Why would we not take him up on that offer? And that is why we love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. I'll begin reading there. This morning I'd like to look at several characteristics of this warfare with a hope that we will be able to recognize some of the tactics of the enemy. Luke chapter 22, Luke 22 verse 31, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Stop reading there. Jesus had just finished the Last Supper, with his disciples. They're in the upper room, seated around the table, and they had just finished having a discussion about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. But they were still sitting around this table. And Jesus says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, Until I studied this, I didn't know what that meant. He is not speaking specifically to Peter here, or to Simon Peter. You is plural in this verse. He's speaking to each one of the disciples, and I believe to each one of us. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. That's what he wants to do with you. He wants to sift you like wheat. I made this, I don't know what you would call it, a sieve, a sifter, to sift uh, gravel out of the end of our garden. There's a It must have been a driveway at one point. But there's gravel there. And the idea is for two people to hold it over a wheelbarrow and somebody else throw dirt in this sieve. And then you shake it. And all the small pieces fall through these holes. That's what I want you to picture this morning as we think of Satan desiring to have you and sifting you like wheat, putting you in a sieve. Picture this. If Satan wants to take you, take faithful people and put them in a sieve, I'll call it, I'm not sure what else to call it, a sifter or a sieve. And in this sieve are sharp, jagged edges of wire that as he shakes this will tear you up. It'll tear at your heart and tear at your soul so hard that you will become desperate and you will want to let go of your faith. The holes in this sieve are shaped like faithless people. When you have let go of your faith, you will fall through the holes in this sieve, right into the hands of Satan. But the holes are only shaped like faithless people. Faith, faithful people cannot fall through here. You don't. Have, you're not shaped right. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, to have all of you. He's speaking to you. He wants to put you in his sieve and he wants to shake you on these jagged edges and he wants you to become so desperate that you will let go of your faith. Now you're the right shape and you'll fall right through into his hands. That's what Satan wants to do with you. It's really not important to Satan whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're healthy or whether you're Not healthy, whether you're sick. It doesn't really matter to him. If he can get you with wealth, that's what he'll do. If he can get you with sickness, that's what he'll do. It doesn't really matter to him. One commentary I read suggested that when Satan sifts us like wheat, we are assaulted with furious and violent temptations. Assaulted with furious and violent temptations. And you may think, well, I've, I've never been assaulted with furious and violent temptations. I've been tempted. If I would ask how many of you have been tempted, every hand would go up. If I'd ask you how many of you have, have yielded and fallen in temptation, every hand would go up. But if I would say, how many have been furiously and violently tempted, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But if I would say, how many have, have fallen and yielded to temptation, yes, you have That's as violent and as furious as he needs to get with you. Just enough for you to fall. Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Satan's attack on the faithful are unpredictable. And his area of attack will be different for each person. It might be your family. It might be your work. It might be your marriage, it might be some area of your personal life. Another way of looking at this is whatever area where you exercise your Christian faith. That is where Satan's going to attack you because he wants to regain lost territory. Where whatever area you practice your faith in. Whatever area you've yielded to God, that is where Satan's going to attack you to reclaim lost territory. The enemy we face is not easily recognized. 2 Corinthians 11 describes Jesus uh, I'm sorry describes the enemy, describes Satan as an angel of light. An angel of light leading people astray with good things or using the name of religion to undermine itself. An angel of light. 1 Peter 5 describes the en- describes the enemy as a roaring lion, fierce attacks of temptation constant pressure to get you to fall to get you to sh- as he shakes you in that sieve sifting you constant pressure to get you to let go of that faith so you can fall through the holes in genesis the enemy is described as a subtle serpent who goes about deceiving and you know the scary thing about being deceived is you don't know it if you know it you're not deceived Jesus pictured Satan as a farmer sifting Christians and trying to tear them apart from their faith. Peter pictured Satan as a roaring, lying lion seeking to devour. But the only thing that'll fall through Satan's sieve, and the only thing that will fit down the throat of a lion is a faithless person. If you can hang on to your faith, you will be victorious. That's why John wrote in Revelation 2, he said, "...Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days." And now catch this. It says, "...Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life." If you can hang on to that faith as you're being shaken in that that sifting, be faithful, and you'll get a crown of life." If you, as soon as you let go of that faith, you're going to fall right through the holes that are custom made for faith, faithless and unbelieving people. First John five four. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even your faith. Faith is what we have to hang on to in this warfare. The faith, your faith, is what keep you, what will keep you from falling into the hands of the enemy. The outcome is already decided in this war. So hang on to your faith. Another characteristic we need to look at is we may lose some battles. In all likelihood, you will lose some battles in this war. But that doesn't mean that you've lost the war. Let's look at verse 32. Luke 22:32. But I have prayed for thee. Now Jesus is speaking directly to Peter. He says, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I was trying to think what Peter would have been thinking as Jesus said this. The first part I think they could under, he could understand, Simon, Satan desires to have you. He wants to have you, that he could sift you all like wheat. And now he says, looks directly at Peter, and he says, "But I have prayed for you that that I I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren." And Peter's thinking, "Now wait a minute. When I'm converted, that means that I'm I'm going to fall away." And he and he thought that because he said, "Lord, I'm going to go with you. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death." What are you saying when I'm converted or when I'm brought back? It seems like it's a little bit contradictory in that verse. Either Jesus' prayer wasn't answered or he wasn't praying the right thing or what. Because he said, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He did fail. Peter failed. Later in this same chapter, verse 62, 61 and sixty somewhere. 60, 61 and 62. He denied Jesus. He failed. This verse 32 almost seems prophetic. Jesus knew the great danger and the tremendous sifting that Peter was about to go through. He knew that Peter would fail and lose this upcoming battle. But Jesus also knew that he would return. It says, when you are converted, not if, he says, when you are converted, when you come back to me, strengthen your brethren. It almost seems contradictory, but after digging into this text, I believe Jesus is saying, Peter, I have prayed for you. I have made intercession for you that your faith or your allegiance to me does not utterly fail. He did fail, but he didn't utterly fail. It's as if he dropped an arm down through that sieve, but he didn't lose his faith and he didn't fall through that sifting. He's saying, I prayed for you that you will not utterly fail. You won't completely fail. He lost a battle, but he didn't give up his faith to allow Satan's sifting to succeed. Verse 62, here in Luke 22, says he wept bitterly. And I believe this weeping bitterly is tears of repentance. We can see here the minute, the very moment that Peter was convicted, it says... Jesus looked at him, and something went between them, and he knew exactly what he had done. The minute he was convicted, he went out and he wept bitterly. He repented, and Jesus forgave him and brought him back. Now he was uniquely qualified to encourage the others, which is what it says. Jesus says, and when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. I would ask you here this morning, how many of you have lost a battle in this war? Every hand would go up. We are human, and we all have lost these battles. Someone once said, all of us make tracks through the valley of failure. The question is, how are you going to respond? Plenty of people give up and exchange a vibrant, kingdom-serving life for a defeated existence. How are you going to respond when you fail? God used this terrible experience of this sifting of Peter in Satan's sieve that evening to break Peter's pride and self-reliance. He had rashly, in true Peter form, he had rashly and pridefully said, I'll never fail you. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to the death. God broke his pride and self-reliance, but he did not let Peter go. God forgave him, God restored him, and God strengthened his faith. And that's exactly what God will do for you. When you weep those bitter tears of repentance, after you fail, God will restore you. He'll forgive you. He'll strengthen your faith. John Piper said this, he said, The strengthened has now become the strengthener. You are now uniquely qualified to help other people. Sometimes God will speak directly to us, but many times as we are being shaken in Satan's sieve, hanging on to that faith so we don't fall through those holes, as we're being shaken, God will send a Peter into your life. God will send somebody who has been through it Somebody whose faith has been strengthened and somebody who can give you just the right words of encouragement. Someone who can tell you the outcome of the war is already decided. It's worth it to hang on to your faith. The minute you let go of that faith, you're going to fall right through these holes. God can use the Peters in your life to encourage you. Another characteristic of this spiritual war is the enemy has power But he needs permission. Going back to verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. I dug into that text a little bit more and the word desired here means, or carries with it the idea of demanded. So who did Satan make this demand to? He's saying, Satan has demanded to have you, to have each one of you. Who did Satan make this demand to? I believe he made the demand to God. And my mind was drawn to the story of Job and the account of Job. And you know the account where Satan went before God and asked permission to touch Job's possessions and his family. He said, if I can touch Job's possessions and his family, he'll curse you to your face. And you know what God's response was to Satan? Satan. He said, all that he has is in your power, only upon himself do not put forth your hand. He gave Satan permission to touch Job's possessions and his family. He said, you can touch his family, you can touch his possessions, but you can't touch him. When that didn't work, Satan asked to touch, Job's per- to touch Job personally in a physical way, to touch his body. And you know what God's response was? He said, all right. You may touch Job's body, but you may not kill him. In each instance, Satan couldn't go no further than what God gave him permission for. Satan can't even tempt a man unless he has permission. He desires to do all evil in the world. He's permitted to do some. The same thing is true in your life. You are tempted... You are in that sieve being shaken, but it's only by permission of God. Satan can't do anything without permission from God. There are two implications that we have to look at here with this in mind. The first part is that Satan has tremendous power in the world. How many of you believe that Satan has tremendous power in the world? Absolutely he does. Jesus called him the prince or ruler of this world. Paul called him the God of this age or the ruler of the authority of the air. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers and then Satan holds those minds, he holds those unbelievers in his snare until God releases them through the gospel. Satan can take a life, he can ruin health, he can torment with demons, he can provoke evil deeds, he can cause natural disasters. None of you can do that. This is all supernatural power that Satan has. He can do all of those things. When we consider the power of the enemy, when you realize the power that our enemy has, it will make you look at life soberly, seriously. It will affect the sincerity and the earnestness of your prayers. It will make you realize the dependency that we have on God for his power. When the enemy is supernatural, so must our weapons be supernatural. 2 Corinthians 10 forces For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Mighty through God. That is one thing about the enemy that must be reckoned with. He is real, he is powerful, and he needs to be taken seriously. And the second thing we need to remember is that Satan's power is only by permission of God. There are not two ultimate powers in the universe. There's only one. God is the ultimate power in the universe. There's only one. So this raises an important question. If Satan can only attack you and can only do as much as God gives permission for, why does God tolerate it? Why put up with it? Why would he even permit Satan to tempt his people, his soldiers? We know the final score at the end of this war. We know what's going to happen. We know the outcome. Why not end it now? Why would he put up with this? And I'm not sure that there's an easy answer for that. But one of the answers, I believe is the benefits of Satan's sifting. And you may think, well, what possible benefit could there be from this? It sounds painful and terrible and I've experienced it. Yes, you have experienced it. But there are benefits from it. 1 Peter tells us that God will bring the bride of Christ to perfection through affliction and temptation. Romans said we must suffer with Christ in order to be glorified with Him. It's the strengthening of of our faith. It's in these victories that we win in this war that we are refined and our faith is strengthened. There's a line in the song that says, each victory will help you some other to win. As we fight and as we battle and as we struggle in this warfare, and this was good for me to look at, to realize the realness of it how easily we're distracted. But it's encouraging for me as I think about this battle and this spiritual battle and this warfare to know Satan cannot touch me beyond what God allows. And I'll follow this through. God will not allow more than you are able to bear through His grace. That's encouraging to me. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... for all saints. As you consider the spiritual warfare we are in, that passage of the armor of God takes on new meaning. Having truth, having righteousness, having faith, having the sword of the Spirit. As we consider the condition of the world today, it seems Like there is so much sin. There's so much wickedness. So much evil. It seems Satan is winning so many battles in this war. Even in the church. There are people losing out. People letting go of their faith and falling through the holes of that sieve. As Satan is sifting them like wheat. And it can be discouraging. There were two men. walking through an art gallery and in this art gallery they came to a painting and it was a painting of two of two chess players one was the devil and one was a man and they were playing chess and the devil had a huge grin on his face he was grinning from ear to ear and as you looked at the at the chessboard in the painting you could tell why and it's because he had this other man cornered there was nothing else for him to do he was out of moves and the devil was grinning from ear to ear the title of the painting was called Checkmate and these two men were standing admiring the painting and the first man moved on to look at other paintings the second man who was an international chess champion stood and he looked at this painting for a long time and suddenly he jumped back and he said it's wrong this is not right. And he ran to find his friend. He said, we have to get the painter. Contact the painter. This is not correct. He, he has There's one more move left. He said, the king has one more move. It seems, it could seem, like the spiritual warfare we are involved in It could seem like a lost cause with so many of the world around us losing out, losing their faith but it is not over and it's worth the fight because the king has one more move. Revelation 20 And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit And the great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Then after that thousand years, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. Today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in it. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. I pray that you will be with each one here as they are being sifted. Give them the vision and the strength to hold on to their faith. To love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds. To be Focused, undistracted, brave soldiers for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.